Well, good morning. Those of you that are new to MCC, we especially welcome you and thank you for making this the place that you would be this Sunday morning to come and worship. Those of you that have been returning week after week, we are glad to see you back. And if I haven't met you personally, I want to because I want to know your name and I want to be looking for you in the weeks ahead as we get to know each other. Before we dive into the great passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, I want to draw your attention to the little card that you received inside your program. There are two cards in there. One is the welcome home card, and that's our way of connecting. And so please share with us the things that are going on in your life, how we can be praying for you, how we can encourage you, but use that card to do that. And you can leave that with the greeters uh, later this morning as you leave. But the little card inside is of utmost importance for a couple of reasons. One, Christmas weekend here is always just a little bit different than our regular weekend gathering. And Christmas celebration begins this Wednesday night with Jingle Jam. At 6.15 or 5.15, we'll have a meal at 6 o'clock. Uh, the entire church is welcome, and we're going to make extra room for you to be part of an exciting program uh, featuring some of our students and some of our student pastors, and it's going to be outstanding. So I hope that you'll come this Wednesday night. Next weekend will be a regularly scheduled weekend, and then Christmas weekend on Saturday, we will meet at 7. Instead of 5.30, we'll meet at 7 o'clock for the first of three identical services. So you can come Saturday night at 7, and you can come Sunday at 5 and 7. And those services will be very similar to what we have on the weekend. There'll be a message. There'll be a time of worship. There'll also be a time of candlelight, a tradition that we have here generally on Christmas Eve. We're expanding that to all three of those services. There'll be a live nativity scene out in the parking lot with some special surprises, especially for the younger ones. And so please come out early, find you a seat, and be part of at least one of those three services. And then on Christmas Eve, Sunday night, we will gather again at 11 p.m. And I know that's late for those of you who have little ones, but we have a whole community here of young adults who do not. And that service is perfect for you who want to bring in Christmas Eve in a very special way. And David will be speaking that night. It'll be candlelit. We'll have some great, great music and just a more intimate time together. And so that will be our fourth service that will stand out just a little bit different than the other three. No Sunday morning services on Christmas Eve. They'll all be in the evenings. That makes sense? Great. All right. If you're confused, there's a card that explains it all. But I look forward, especially those of you who are new, you don't want to miss the weekend of Christmas. It's always a very special time. And as you get to know your new church family, that's a moment that you want to come and share with us together. Speaking of celebrating, join me in celebrating Kaysen Hensley. Kaysen's right down front as he always is with his family, Marvin and Sarah. Kaysen surrendered his life to Jesus Christ last weekend. And then also please continue to welcome Josh and Bethany Sissel who placed their membership with us last Sunday morning. So let's welcome them home. 
Well, grab your Bible, and this morning we're going to be in the first four Gospels, the four Gospels as they are in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, with the exception of Mark, we're going to be in the first two chapters of all three Gospels, and we're going to start with the final, and that is John chapter 1, about halfway through his gospel. John chapter 1, and then we'll go backwards, and we'll stop at Luke, and then we'll end up with Matthew, and then back to John. So all right there in close proximity, if you've got your Bible open, we will be right there. Let's bow our heads, and then let's jump into this. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all who have come. I thank you, Lord, especially for those that you have led here today who just wondered, maybe by an invitation of a friend, or they've driven past this place for years, or have been watching online. Whatever it is, Father, we understand that all the days of our lives are ordained by you, and it's just up to us as to whether we engage you and engage you in our days. And so today, as those who have come uh, wondering what brought them here, we know that it's you. And we pray that you'll be glorified as we look at your identity a little bit closer and how you came in flesh and blood for us to be able to know you and see you, to be reconciled to you and to have relationship with you, both eternal, but also right here in this present age. We love you, Father. May you be glorified through the reading of your word today. Amen. Well, we all, depending on our background, we all have this image in our mind of God, what he looks like, the the look in his eyes, right? The tone of his voice. And that image comes from several different things. It comes from our experiences, It comes from what we have read about God or not read about God. In fact, our image of God, many times we put attributes onto him because of what we desire for him to be like. For for example, if you see God or you long for God to be all wise and all knowing which he is, perhaps you have put some attributes on him like gray hair. Uh, a beard. You, know, you see all these young people today growing beards because it, it makes you look so much wiser until you have scrambled eggs caught in there from three days ago, right? <laughs> but the look in his eyes, maybe he's got this stern, serious look on his face all the time in your mind because you see him as wise and, and, and aged. Maybe you like to look at God as just a little bit more contemporary, right? The God who has that wavy, oily, Middle Eastern dark hair, right? That tan all the time. You know, you see him sitting back sipping some brew at the local coffee shop, right? And you want to see him as contemporary. Well, the Apostle John, in chapter 1, verse 14, unlike the other gospel writers, John begins with this picture for us, this revelation, you will, of what God looks like. In verse 14, he writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John introduces us here to Jesus with a term that the early readers of the gospel were familiar with, that they could wrap their mind around, and that term is the Word. 
In the Old Testament, the word was the revelation of God. God spoke and the heavens, the earth, were formed. The word of God came to Abram and a nation was born. Well, in verse 1, John establishes the reality that from the very beginning, the word was with God and is God. And then he makes this connection for us when he says, the word became flesh. He's telling us that this word is Jesus, the infinite second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. While God revealed himself through creation he would later reveal himself through the nation of israel and the prophets god chose to now reveal himself through jesus christ with flesh and blood the word became flesh now theologians call this the incarnation perhaps that's a word that you hear sung in certain christmas tunes maybe growing up in the church you heard that word the incarnate god incarnate i think of it this way in a little simpler way and that is that god took on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood because that in fact is what he did we acknowledged last week in our teaching about the humbleness of jesus and how he set aside his rights his privileges as god when he came to live among us when he came to build that bridge over the divide that separates you and I, sinful us, from this holy, infinite God. God took on eyebrows and elbows and kidneys and a spleen. He subjected himself to sleep and hunger and thirst, frustration, temptation, time. He moved into our world. He moved into our neighborhood. And his idea of making an entrance, well, he came as an infant. An infant. Luke records the details for us from Mary's perspective in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And I read this familiar passage, but I ask you to listen to it with fresh ears as you envision God choosing to take on flesh and blood because every element of this description is important because it reveals to us the character and the nature and the substance of God. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, that is familiar to us because we've been reading God's word from the very beginning in Genesis in January all the way through Revelation where we will end on New Year's Eve weekend. David, King David. David, who was placed on the throne of Israel as king, of whom was prophesied that through his line and lineage would come the Christ child. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, and we can only imagine what this was like. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now it says Mary was greatly troubled 
at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. We've all been there, haven't we? When someone comes to us and what they say to us, we know that they're about to drop a big load, right? And here it is. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. I want you to think about the obedience here. Every detail of this young woman's life has just been mapped out for her. All the things that she looked forward to as a young, engaged bride-to-be has just been told to her in a completely different fashion than she anticipated in her life. But her obedience, he will be great and will be called the, most son, the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's question is how will this B, can you tell me a little bit more? Since I'm a virgin, how in the world? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? How God chose this process to clothe himself with flesh and blood to come to us in order to invite us to a relationship with God. So Luke gives us Mary's encounter. What about Joseph? Well, his encounter is recorded by Matthew in chapter 1, verse 18. And the thing about Joseph's encounter is that Mary, Mary first found out by what? By revelation from the angel. Now, here in Matthew, we discover through Matthew's writing that Joseph has already heard about this. He's already heard that Mary is expecting, but he doesn't know how. He can only assume the worst. Matthew writes, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, and they're not talking about sitting down and having coffee. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph her husband, a better word would be fiancé, was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He had his life in alignment with God, just as Mary did. That's why she was highly favored, because he was a righteous man and did not want to embarrass her or subject her to public disgrace. He had in mind to call off the engagement quietly. Right? Let's just go our own separate ways. I'll move. Maybe you want to relocate. Whatever you want to do is what he's thinking. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because 
He will save his people from their sin. The very purpose of Jesus Christ coming right here. All of this took place, Matthew writes, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophecy. For all of those years, generation after generation after generation, God's people were to be looking for this sign, this reality that a virgin would be with child. It says, when Joseph woke up in verse 25, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. A grandfather was visiting his daughter and his grandson. How many of you grew up with a, a playpen, right, in your home? I, I don't know if they still allow those or not. I mean, you can't spank your kids or discipline them in any way, according to the public. But back when I was a kid, we had these playpens. And, and, and they, were, they were neat, but the whole, they, they were jails, what they were. <laughs> There's nothing sweet about it. The only time you were put in the playpen was when mom didn't want to mess with you or dad didn't want to mess with you or you were in trouble. You had been warmed up, right? You know what I mean by warmed up. And you'd been put in that playpen to work up a really, really good cry. I mean the kind that dehydrates you as a kid. And this little fella, he was in there just wailing as Grandpa walked from the kitchen where he'd been visiting with his daughter into the living room. And he saw his grandson in tears, just couldn't even get his breath. He was so upset. But when the grandson saw his grandpa, he, he called out Papa and just opened up his arms. And what grandfather couldn't resist that, right? And so, Ben, I can just see you doing this with your, your latest grandchild. And, and so, Grandpa just reaches in, and just about the time he scoops up little Jeffrey, the grandson, here comes Lawn Order into the room carrying a dish towel, right? <laughs> Dad, put him down. And then she scolds little Jeffrey. Jeffrey, your reason why you're in there is because you did this, this, and this. Now, just, just, just leave him alone, Dad. She goes back in the kitchen. And grandpa, doing only what a grandpa could do, he, he didn't want to go against her wishes, right? You don't want to mess that up. You won't get invited back for at least two days until they need a babysitter again, right? <laughs> but he does what only a grandpa could do, and he takes one leg and he throws it over into that playpen, then he takes the other and he gets down in that playpen with Jeffrey. Now, I, I don't want to sound disrespectful because God is so much bigger than a grandpa. But what God did when he made his dwelling among us, as John put it, it literally means that he made his tent. To say that he made his tent means that he moved in with us. He moved into our neighborhood. And that implies that he wants to be familiar with us. And he wants us to be familiar with him his hands, he, he wanted us to see that his hands would be calloused by work, his skin tanned by the sun, just as everyone else's is. But it really gets personal because love your neighbor was spoken by 
this God man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to leave family for the gospel, right? Take up your cross and follow me. It was issued. It was commanded by the one who had to kiss his own earthly mother. Goodbye in the doorway. Pray for those who persecute you. Came from the lips of one that would soon ask God to forgive those who had so mistreated him. I am with you always are the words of God who in one instant did the impossible to make the impossible possible for you and me. It all happened when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This week in our reading through God's word, we came to the book of Hebrews and wow, wow, what a read. And to summarize everything there, and to summarize what God is, is describing for us here and what he did through Jesus Christ, it comes down to Hebrews 4, verse 15, that reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, this whole high priest concept, just in a nutshell, he's speaking about Jesus Christ. The high priest up until this point, until Jesus is... Uh, death and resurrection. The high priest was the only one who could go before God, who, who could offer that ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And it says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Because of what Jesus Christ did, because God came and he took on flesh and blood and he lived among us. And he felt, he endured, he remained sinless. We can go to him and he understands. Do we understand that? That we are not talking to a God who is some distant grandpa looking down at us in a judgmental way. We have an infinite God who put on flesh and blood, who lived life right where we live, right here in our own zip code, who endured it all, who says, come to me when you're heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you, my teaching." And this is the second most important point that John makes. Right there in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And this, in this, Jesus made it possible for man to stand in the presence of God. The second part of that Hebrews verse says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need. Grace and truth are two concepts that we don't often see together, right? We tend to go with one or the other. We either show grace or we tell them the truth. But to see them together Jesus was both full of grace and full of truth. He dealt graciously with people that he met. People like you and me, who were moral, physical train wrecks. The woman who was caught in adultery wasn't condemned. 
But she was shown grace as she was told, go and leave your life of sin. Parents who brought their children right in the middle of Jesus teaching and doing all of these things. They brought their children to him and he said, let the little children come unto me. Unless you come to me as a child, you won't see the kingdom of God. He welcomed them. The leper who came wanting to be healed, what did Jesus do? He made him clean. Because he was full of truth, though, he spoke truth to those who needed to hear, like Nicodemus and to us. Unless you be born of water, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. To the religious people who acted angrily, who accused him of blasphemy. There was nothing but hard truth. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus tells the truth about your life. He tells the truth about your situation. And then his grace causes him to stick with you all the way. You've heard the saying, God loves you. God loves me just the way I am. My friends, that's his grace. But he loves you. He loves me too much to let me stay that way. And that's truth. Because Jesus is full of grace. He died for you and me while we were right in the middle of our sin. While we were still planning the next one. While we were calculating all of it. Because he's full of truth, though, he was able to pay for our sins completely and set us free from that sin. This is the message of good news and great joy that the angels delivered to the shepherds that night. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 8, remember the shepherds who are out abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, when suddenly the skies opened up, when suddenly there was this great light and an angel of the Lord, there's that angel again. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, there's that connection. A Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then suddenly the multitudes of the angels appeared, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, the third truth about God's identity that John focuses our attention on is right in the middle of verse 14 of chapter 1. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. By revealing himself to us through Jesus Christ, God, we can examine and know God. It's what that word seen as used by John means. We have seen, we can examine, we can know the fullness of God. We can know his character. We can know his attributes of grace and love and justice and truth and mercy that never go away. In Jesus Christ, we have seen the fullness of God so that we can do what? We can know him, we can trust him, and we can follow him. 
And that's what the shepherds did. Verse 15 of Luke chapter 2 says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And verse 20 is key. It says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. It's the greatest reality of Christmas. The unseen God, the one that we have read about, that generations and nations have spoken of, chose to take on flesh and blood. He lived among us, and his presence made it possible for us to stand in God's presence and know firsthand his grace and truth. We can know him. And that takes us to the point of the text in John's gospel on which our view of Christmas and God hinges. And that is in verse 10 of John chapter 1. Jesus, God, he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, remember in the beginning, in the beginning in the darkness, and God spoke and the heavens and earth were formed. And then he said, let us make man in our image. Jesus Christ was right there at the beginning. John says, through him, all that was created was created. And so though the world was made through him, that same world did not recognize him. Now we think recognize as in, okay, he's got brown hair, he's got blue eyes, he's 6'1", he's 180 pounds. Okay, yeah, I recognize him. It's not that type of recognize. It's the type of recognize where we accept. It's like we recognize that so-and-so is the pastor at the church. We accept that reality. And it says that he came to which was his own, but his own wouldn't accept him. Verse 11 clarifies that he came to that which was his own, but his own would not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. I want you to consider the significance of this statement that he came to his own, but his own would not receive him. Jesus came to that which he himself created. <laughs> he came to the ones that he created, and yet his own creation wouldn't receive him, would reject him. We want to lay it all on the Jews, that they were his own. I think this is speaking about much broader than that. Not only did they reject him, they should have known more than anyone. But I think about the reality that every year that we celebrate this, there are still millions who do not receive him. My friends, we would not exist in this life were it not for Jesus Christ. We certainly will not live in eternal glory were it not for Jesus Christ. 
Yet there is this breakdown that has separated us from that reality and even given reason to deny it. And that breakdown is sin, darkness, scales over our eyes, a heart that is hardened to the truth. His own, those he came for, would not, chose not. They stayed in the dark. Max Licato tells a story in his, one of his many, many books of stories. He tells a story about a tribe of people who lived in the dark. And this is Max Licato's way of making an analogy, right? This is Max's perception of what John is writing about here in verse 14. There was this tribe of people who lived in a dark, cold cave. The cave dwellers, as he refers to them in his story, they would huddle together and they would cry out against the cold. Long and loud, they wailed. It was all they did. It was all they knew to do. The sounds in the cave were mournful, but the people didn't know it because they had never known joy. The spirit in the cave was death, but the people didn't know it for they had never known life. One day they heard a different voice. The voice from outside the cave said, I have heard your cries. I have felt your chill and seen your darkness. I have come to help you. But the cave people grew quiet. They had never heard this voice. Hope sounded strange to their ears. How? How can we know that you've come for help? Trust me, he answered. I have what you need. The cave people peered through the darkness at this figure of a stranger. He was stacking something, and then he would stoop down, and then he would stack some more. What are you doing, one cried nervously. The stranger didn't answer. What are you making, another shouted even louder. But there was no response. Tell us demanded a third. The visitor stood and spoke in the direction of the voices. I have what you need. And with that, he turned to the pile that he had been making at his feet and he lit it. The wood ignited, flames erupted, and light filled the cave. The people turned away in fear Put it out, they cried. It hurts to see it. Light always hurts before it helps, he answered. Step closer. The pain will soon pass. Not I, declared a voice, nor I agreed a second. Only a fool would risk exposing his eyes to such light, said another. The stranger stood next to the fire. Would you prefer the darkness? Would you prefer the cold? Please, don't, don't consult your fears but take a step take a step of faith and for a long time no one spoke the people hovered in groups covering their eyes the fire builder stood next to the fire it's warm here he invited and all of a sudden there was the voice a voice of a female one who had come from the cave and now stood behind the fire lighter he's right it is warmer I can open my eyes now, she said. I can see. 
Come closer, the fire builder said to the woman. She did. She stepped into the ring of light. It was so warm. She extended her hands and she sighed as the chill left her fingers. Come, everyone, feel the warmth, she pleaded with those in the cave. Silence, woman, one of them shouted. How dare you lead us into your folly? Leave us, leave us, and take your light with you. And she turned to the stranger. Why? Why, why won't they come? They chose the chill, even though it's cold. And he said, it's all right. That's what they know. They'd rather be cold than to change and live in the dark, she said. And live in the dark, he replied. Now we say, what a silly analogy. We don't live in a cave. We don't live in the cold. We don't cry out against the things that are around us. Are we not? <laughs> Broken relationships, unbelief, the confusion of our world around us, some shouting, having never felt hope, indifference, the outright denial of our own need for him is not the world crying out in the darkness. You see, the reality is, is that while many celebrate that Christ has come, there are many more who don't. John said in verse 3, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, has not experienced it, is unwilling to experience it. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not receive him. He came to that which were his own, but his own did not receive him. Which are you this weekend? Are you the one who's come out of the dark to receive him? Are you that woman who's accepted him and accepted his life? Have you accepted him as the son of God, the savior of the world? Have you accepted him as savior and Lord of your life? Standing by the fire, now begging that others would come? That young woman standing there, listening to her family and her friends, the people that she had grown up with in her cave of a neighborhood she said what what can I do and he took a stick and he put it down into the fire and he lit it and he said go take the fire take the light with you is that you right now do you feel like you're the one carrying the torch alone for your family or are you the one that there's something keeping you from his grace? Because if that's the truth, if all of this seems foreign to you, so different than the life that you've been used to, 
then I want you to know that there is nothing in your life that is too much for him. He did not come to blind you by the light. He came to welcome you and to help you get used to the light, to bless you in that light and to make a home with you eternal. Do you have trouble seeing how life could be different? It only takes one step. He's taken the first. Now it's up to you to take one step toward him. And I assure you that the next step after that, you will want to take. And the next one after that, as you enter his circle, as you enter his family. Won't you take that next step toward him today and be born again to be baptized, to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that leads you and comforts you and guides you through that transformation? Won't you take your next step and be part of a church family that will embrace you and will help you no matter how many cries you hear around you of don't do it, it's not safe. That light's gonna hurt you. Won't you take that next step and discover for yourself the joy of the world through the church and Jesus Christ? Come and receive prayer and encouragement of others who've taken that next step to trust him. This weekend, I invite you to come right up here to where the light is. And let me help you take that next step. In the back, there'll be another set of lights that come on soon. And that's our next steps area. And you can make your way there where David and Scott and others want to pray with you and encourage you and hear your heart about the things that you've been experiencing in your own cave. They're there to help encourage you towards the one who took on flesh and blood to come and build that bridge that you wouldn't have to stay there anymore, but that you can be with him. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we stand right now in the darkness of a world that has chosen more than not to deny you. Some out of fear, Others simply unwilling to trust because trust has been broken so often. While you've never broken trust, others have, and that makes it difficult for us sometimes to look into the eyes of hope that there is one who we can fully trust. Well, today, may all who have heard your voice through your spoken word set their fear and unwillingness to trust aside and simply step into the light of your son, Jesus. May they know his grace. Come to the truth of who he is, the voice in the darkness who says, come to me. It's in his name that we spawned and that we look ahead. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.